episode number 30, how to reduce your workers' compensation expense. Welcome to CEO Terrainmaker, a practical small business educational podcast designed to increase an owner's executive skills, raise profits, and achieve long-term sustainability. And now your host, Gene Valdez. Even if you only have one employee, you must have workers' compensation insurance. If you are self-employed, legally, you do not need coverage, but you do have the option to obtain it if you would like. While looking at thousands and thousands of profit and loss statements in my career, in terms of monthly overhead categories, workers' comp is always in the top five. So saving money in the workers' compensation arena will always have a very positive impact on your business's bottom line or the reverse. My guest expert today is Christopher Hodson, a veteran in the insurance industry. Christopher is going to share some cost-saving tips and provide you with a current overview of the workers' compensation marketplace. Christopher is the owner of a company called The Brokerage, a business he formed himself six years ago. So he's one of you. He's a business owner. This company is now part of the Alera Group, a national insurance and financial services firm. Christopher has over 30 years experience and graduated from San Diego State University with all that lousy weather with a major in business. So here he is, Christopher, welcome. Thank you, sir. All right, so let's um, let's cut right to the chase. Christopher, what, what do you think is the best way or what tips could you share with my audience, small business owners, to allow them to reduce their monthly workers' compensation expenses? Uh, great question, and, and one that we hear a lot because we know workers' comp is so burdensome, especially here in California. So if, if you're thinking about your workers' compensation costs, we're not only thinking about what you're paying today, but what you're going to have to pay in the future. And the, the biggest driver of those future costs are the losses that a business will have. So from a simplistic approach, if you're able to reduce your losses, ultimately you'll end up having better workers' compensation rates in the future. Okay. So that's a nice segue then is how do you, how does a business reduce the amount of workers' compensation claims? What can they do? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Pizza a lot. <laughs> That's it. Did you, you say pizza? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Everybody's happy when they eat pizza. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's that's that's a great point because you, you are touching on the human element programs. So, you know, studies show that employees that are happy in their jobs and, and happy working for a company are less likely to have injuries. So great point. Human element programs, doing things, showing uh, employees that you appreciate their uh, their work, uh, appreciate that they're part of the family, so to speak. And uh, that's definitely one you know significant area to make certain that sure. you will have uh, less people, less employees taking advantage of the system. 
Okay. Do you know how, do you have any clients that um, incent their employees to work safely uh, with the green stuff, moolah, or that's just come part of the job. That's what they're expecting. Expected. You know, that is a, that's an age old debate. I must say, because you you run into a situation where you don't want to create an incentive where your employees are not actually reporting the claims that they have because that would be illegal. Uh, okay. The state of California is pretty strict about workers' compensation fraud. So there, there has to be a, a balance between getting employees to work safely and, and to um, follow good risk management techniques uh, without incentivizing them to, to bury their claims. But instead of necessarily cash, you can have situations like a pizza lunch, or I have lots of clients that will bring in uh, a taco truck or, or barbecue or other sort of incentives for working safe. An important component of that is, is getting your employees to sort of think about a, a team approach and so that they start watching each other's backs. Uh, got it, you know, got it. Got, get their six, as they say in the military, right? Okay. So do you have any clients that maybe in the, in an employee's annual performance review, there's a paragraph that says, and follows all of the safety work conditions and da, 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 da. Yeah. You know, so there, there is that, there is that component that can be built in. Frankly, that piece is better directed to the supervisors and the leads that in those people um, should definitely be held accountable and their compensation could be reflected uh, and include the greenbacks that you had that you had mentioned for having their teams work safely um, and keeping track also of, you know, uh, I don't know if you've been to sometimes large manufacturing facilities, they'll have a sign on the wall, you know, 260 days without an accident sort of thing. Those uh, those sort of programs, you know, can mean something to employees, especially when they understand, hey, this isn't a uh, a victimless sort of uh, incident. If if we have workers' compensation claims, we're going to end up paying more down the road, and that takes money out of you know the general company coffers, if you will, and less money for bonuses, less money for other incentives, less money for raises, all those things. Okay. So then to, to summarize this question, in order for a small business owner to reduce their workers' compensation claims, how would you summarize it just in maybe one sentence? Because we just spent five minutes on it. And I want to make it crystal clear because this yeah. is your space, not me. I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually only touched on, you know, one small little component of, of reducing, reducing their claims. If I could, if you'll allow me, I think sure, we, should absolutely. Talk, we could, we should talk real quickly about, okay, so we know accidents happen. And if one of your listeners, one of their teams do get involved in an accident, what's the best thing, you know, for them to do at that point in time? Well, obviously we, we, you know, they need to make certain that that person makes it to the clinic, makes sure they get the proper, you know, medical care. But 
at that point, that's just the beginning of, of how uh, your listeners should be sort of addressing their workers' compensation claims. Frankly, we found one of the most important things is staying in touch with the injured worker. Sometimes okay. these employees will, will get injured. They'll go off work. They're seeing the doctor. Maybe they're interacting with the claims department, but they're not really in tune with what's happening at work. And they're concerned about, you know, their job, their future, you know, their, the, you know, what will happen, what will happen to them? Are they getting their disability payments? Uh, or do they feel like they're, they're being treated fairly? So it's important for, uh, for employers to be in, in frequent contract, uh, contact rather with their injured worker. So even every couple of days, someone calling and saying, hey, hey, Joe, just checking in. How are you doing? Have you gotten your checks? What's the doctor saying? Look, we wanna, we want you to come back as soon as possible. So you know, keep us, keep us informed. Let us know what happens. So right. that's that. That's an important. Cool. That's an important piece. Another part of that is doing everything you can to try to create a modified position for that employee to come back to work. So what that will mitigate is the actual dollars that are spent on that claim. If if you have a, a an employee who you know injures their hand and or has limited use of, of of something, is there another job that they can do to sort of come back to work, to be part of the team, get them off the couch and get them away from that TV with those 1-800 the law two commercials. Because anytime I'm Larry uh, Parker. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I you, yeah, I got you. This is a great point. Keep keep going. I'm sorry. No problem. Anytime you can keep the frankly the attorney out of this, you'll you'll have a better result. You'll have the employee returning to work sooner and you'll have an ultimate cost of that claim be lower. So unfortunately, these attorneys do a very good job of making it seem like, oh, it's as, uh, you know, this isn't going to cost your, your company. This isn't going to cost your employer. This is a big, bad insurance company and they'll pay you for all this stuff. And unfortunately, every single time an attorney gets involved, that the claim goes on longer and ends up costing more. It, it's just it's just a factor of how that attorney gets paid and the impact of the claim. Well, this is what I this is the the proud moments of this show is the insider's view. All right, let me tell you what really goes on. So thank you very much for that. So let's shift gears for a second, Christopher. What what is the state of the current workers' compensation marketplace and who are the players? What's happening right now? Got it. Well, if we're if we're talking about the California market, my firm we we write on a national level, but uh, preponderance in California. The California market over the last several years has been pretty soft. There's been lots of carriers that have been aggressive in writing business, and as a result, we've had more a more reasonable rate environment. Now. <laughs> That reasonable is a, is a relative term because California rates compared to Texas or Nevada are much higher. Um, and that's a whole other topic. But our rates have been um, somewhat, somewhat uh, they've been lower because there's lots of competition. 
There's yeah, lots was- of insurance companies that are looking to write here in California. Now that pendulum is swinging. So as recently as uh, last week, I saw a bulletin, the Workers' Comp Insurance Rating Bureau is recommending an average rate increase in California of about 7.5% for policies incepting on and after September 1st. So there's going to be that upward pressure on rates. Okay. All right. So I don't know a lot about your business, but I do remember the state fund. What's the state fund and what is its role in, in workers' compensation? What do so they do the state, as opposed to private insurers? Got it. So the state fund here in, in California, similar to other states, <laughs> not all, but is deemed a competitive state fund. And that means that state fund is a not-for-profit that's backed by the state that's designed to compete with other carriers. But they also fulfill another role. They are also deemed the carrier of last resort. So that if for whatever reason, a business in California has challenges getting, getting viable terms from the open marketplace, then the state fund basically can't turn them away. The only time that the state fund won't write a business is if that business owes the state fund money. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. All right. So how has COVID impacted workers' compensation industry, if you will, or type of policy? And I heard that fraud has been prevalent. Is it still the same? Is it coming down? Those two, COVID fraud. Can you give me your thoughts on that? Sure thing. So COVID has uh, obviously like been so disruptive in, in all aspects of our of our lives. Workers' comp has been the same. In general, in the past, colds and flus and other sort of conditions were not covered by workers' compensation. Because even if someone was able to prove, oh, I got the flu from my coworker who sits, you know, adjacent to me, you couldn't make a workers' compensation claim for that in the past. COVID has sort of crossed that barrier, the communicable disease component, and there is some precedent for COVID contracted or or theory that the COVID was con- contracted in the marketplace to become a compensable uh, claim. In other words, employee would be tied to medical and, and time off. I, I had a client, uh, unfortunately, that their uh, their employee contracted COVID and, and passed away and the carrier paid, out, carrier paid out a very large sum as a result of that. So that was the, that was the COVID piece. The fraud, in general, I'm optimistic, and I like to think that people are honest. However, in workers' compensation, uh, it's, it's a system that basically tilts entirely to the injured worker. And, and that's okay when that injured worker is legitimately injured. But unfortunately, as so often is the case, there are, there are, there are times when uh, maybe the injured worker might embellish. There are times when a, a an attorney might feel like that worker should see other doctors and and may probe about other areas to try to inflate the value of the claim. 
things like loss of sleep, anxiousness, loss of consortium, those sorts of things become components. And I had started my career over 30 years ago. I was actually in workers' compensation claims. I saw that sort of crud then, and I still see it now. So let me ask you a hard-hitting question. Do the private insurers, uh, because of the fraud, is our business owners ultimately having that cost passed on to them in terms of higher premiums? Absolutely. You, you know, these 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 companies uh, are for profit, right? Right. So exactly. They, they've got underwriting models. They've got they've got strategies for for growth. So without question, the employer ends up footing the bill for those increased costs. All right. So is in terms of your industry, is it a standard practice that let's say a business owner has is insured for workers comp that they put it out to bid every year or do business owners pretty much stay with the same guy or gal they've always been? They know me and they like me. And how much are they leaving on the table? And should you shop? Yeah. You know, the great, great questions. And, you know, back in the, Back in the day, I'm dating myself a little bit. I'm sitting on a on a in a rocking chair on the front porch, uh, drinking uh, <laughs> drinking whatever. But I, I know it sounds like that. But it meant something to be loyal to an insurance company. Um, yes. that used to be the old you know the old adage. Uh, nowadays, I think it's there's there's I think there's more to being loyal to those who are performing on your behalf. And Correct. you're not so you're not so certain that the insurance company is is really going to be performing at an optimal level on, on your behalf each and every year. You know, there's there's something that that I call in the industry rate creep, and rate creep is uh, an, an area where if if a customer just continues to buy from the same insurance company. Every year, that underwriter may look for a little more rate, a little more rate, a little more rate. And then pretty soon, you look back and you're like, holy mackerel, you know, we're up 50% from our, from our basis from three years or so ago. So, so to your question, it is worthwhile to, to see what's out there now and then. I wouldn't say that, it's, that, that a company should shop every year for the sake of shopping for a couple of reasons. One, it, it creates a lot of work on, on their part. And maybe even equally important is it can dilute the brand of the company. And let me explain what I mean by that. I spend a lot of time acting as the advocate for my clients. I want to make certain that my clients are received in the marketplace by the underwriters, by the by the the guys and gals who are actually pricing the renewals, I want to make sure that they have the best impression of my clients. And that's harder to do when an underwriter will see the same names year after year after year. It's just a, a, a matter of fact in our marketplace, there's only so many carriers that have certain appetites. And if if a company is looking year after year at these same names, they feel like, oh, what's our real opportunity of, of earning this business? And may not give it the best look. So I would encourage, I would encourage companies to sort of take that into consideration. And, and if I could, if I go, could go on from there, 
I think it starts with having a frank discussion with their broker. So early in the process, maybe three months ahead of the renewal, have a conversation with your broker, have your broker explain what he or she expects the the company to, to pay for the renewal. Give them an idea. What is the marketplace like? What sort of feedback do you think that you would get on our behalf? And then have that broker give a firm commitment of, of what they thought they could produce for the renewal. And it may be based on that information. You can use a, a, a strategy that we often employ is an early commitment for renewal. Using the threat of, of marketing to your advantage with an underwriter to be able to lock that underwriter down early for a commitment for the renewal. And, uh, got and, it. and that oftentimes can be beneficial. Awesome. Well, Christopher, listen, you've been a wealth of information. Unfortunately, we're, we're running out of time. But if my clients, if you hit a responsive court out there and they want to ask some more questions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Easiest thing is to maybe just uh, email. You can check out our website or email me. My email is chodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at the brokerageins.com. Great. This was just awesome, Christopher. I reserve the right to call you back because we didn't have time, but I'm really interested in what's the latest going on with like cyber insurance and cyber attacks and what business owners can do. What, what can be, you know, what, what type of risk management strategy is there? So, but in any event, that's a, that concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much. And I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. So there you have it, listeners. Christopher was a wealth of information. Take heed to some of his advice on how you can reduce your workers' compensation expenses. Your time and energy invested will pay off in larger profits. So I'll see you next week. I am out. This has been CEO to Rainmaker with Gene Valdez. To find out more, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you have questions, email the show. Find that link and others in the show notes. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.